It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here on first down and goal from the one is Lavelle Coppage in untouched for the touchdown. No, maybe the easiest touchdown Lavelle Coppage has ever scored. Burke looking to throw, looking in the end zone, looking for Denton, and he's got him for the touchdown. Each week, those who know Division Three football break down the weekend. There are several teams that seem to have established themselves as elite, and as we get into this postseason, it's going to be, uh, I think, pretty exciting to watch which ones emerge. I don't, I don't think we can say, okay, these two teams are, this should definitely meet in the Stag Bowl, or these four teams should definitely meet in the Final Four. I think it's going to be um, you know, pretty exciting five weeks of playoffs. From the record breakers. Well, Pat, he's been a guy who's averaged eight yards a carry all season. He's been a big play guy, and if you're a frequent listener to the podcast, you, you know this is not the first time that we've had occasion to mention Western Connecticut, Connecticut State, Octavius McCoy. It's actually his third consecutive five-touchdown game. To the surprises on the field. One just out of the blue makes me go, what the hell was that, Wartburg? Wow, congratulations. That's a heck of a way to get into the second round. To the surprises off the field. For the first time in a few years, not surprised, maybe pleasantly surprised that uh, all eight at-large teams that we projected actually got in. It, it seems to me like the NCAA actually followed their own rules correctly. You even hear from those on the sidelines. You know, we had no idea where the record set. I knew he was probably over 400. You know, just by coincidence, we were up two scores late, and uh, you know, he, he had a carry to the sideline, and I'm like, let's get him out of here. We don't want to get him hurt for next week. There is only one place to turn to, the only show that covers the entire Division Three football nation. D3Football.com's Around the Nation podcast. I don't think you, you can argue it now, Pat. You have two dominant teams at the top of Division Three. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. So if you were ranked number six or number seven this week, and it really doesn't even matter which poll, big week, big interesting week, uh, and uh, a couple of close games. If you were number six in our poll, you won. If you were number six in the AFCA poll, you lost. But a couple of great games nonetheless. It was uh, Salisbury having to rally at the end of force overtime and then defeating St. John Fisher in the extra session. Uh, they were the uh, number seven ranked team in our poll. Number six in our poll, John Carroll uh, was trailing most of the second half. Uh, I think trailing a good portion of the first half as well. And they came back to beat Ohio Northern. Uh, I'm Pat Coleman. Uh, he's Keith McMillan. Those are the two big stories out of Saturday. Uh, Saturday week five as we're coming up to the uh, the midway point of the Division Three football regular season. And it seems, Keith, as we start with the uh, St. John Fisher-Salisbury game, these teams, you know, now meet every year as uh, as members of the Empire Eight. I I dare say it's safe to say that St. John Fisher will be happy to get rid of Salisbury because they are zero and six against the Seagulls as they lost again on Saturday in overtime. Yeah, uh, Salisbury, of course, will move to the NJAC next season, a, a little more regional home for them. You know, the thing that that stood out to me, Pat. Big picture wise, before we actually get into the the nuts and bolts of the game, was that as you looked at that schedule on Saturday for the big games, there was the the top twenty five clashes: Linfield against Pacific Lutheran, um, Concordia Moorhead Bethel. There was the uh, uh, I think Thomas Moore Washington Jefferson. Right, these are these real huge games, and I was kind of tempted to to. Uh, think about Salisbury and St. John Fisher, John Carroll and Ohio Northern as big games. But then you started to think, eh, 
you know, the, the luster's a little bit off that one, the way Salisbury's played earlier. Ohio Northern's been down for a few years now, even though they've played well this season. So kind of overlooked those games, and those turned out to be the best games on Saturday. It's just I don't really know what to make of Ohio Northern. I mean, yeah, they they give up uh, they give up 69 points, and they scored 52 last week. Come back out of a really good day defensively. I mean, Mark Myers was there, uh, you know, uh, Michaels, Tommy Michaels was there in the backfield. The the big names were there on offense for John Carroll. And it really wasn't until the fourth quarter when uh, they finally put a couple drives together, got a stop, and ended up winning that game. Yeah, and, and obviously did it at the at the time they needed to do it, both uh, offensively and defensively. The drive was, uh, was no fluke either. In fact, um, both of John Carroll's scoring drives, they kicked a field goal early in the fourth quarter, and both of those were 10-play drives. So, uh, they, you know, they... they over the course of the game, sometimes you're trying to set something up and, and have it work or you're trying to get the, the rhythm going in the running game or the pass game. And, it, and uh, it's very easy as a fan or an onlooker to get frustrated with, with what the offense is doing because it's not working. But clearly, you know, Mark Myers, Tom Arth started to figure things out a little bit by the fourth quarter of that game. And, and as we mentioned, put together two, uh, two long 10-play drives, kicked the field goal early in the fourth to tie that game. And then, of course, it was a back-and-forth game the entire fourth quarter. And, uh, and John Carroll uh, scored with about five minutes left to go up in that game and, of course, still had to, uh, to, to pull out the stops. Pat, you did mention, and, and this is a really, really strange turnaround in just one week, facing what we think would probably be you know, equally potent offenses, you know, to give up the 69 at Heidelberg and then to come home and hold John Carroll which whooped Heidelberg. Remember, they put about they played, they beat Heidelberg forty eight seven. To to hold them to seventeen points is is a very big turnaround, and you know clearly they must have had a uh, a pretty good week of practice. Yeah, I was going to say. I, I guess my only thought there would have been is uh, they had a lot of good stuff to look at on film and a lot of good stuff to fix out of that because it does seem like a pretty significant turnaround. On the flip side, on on the the other game that we're uh, quite interested in from Saturday. You'd think after after several times seeing Salisbury and you know, one and the, Springfield too, right? Yeah, true, true. And one of the things about seeing, uh, especially in this day and age where you see mostly spread and and you know offenses with uh, you know the up tempo and and the package plays, you know, we, we, the around the region this week was about Wilkes and trying to get plays in quickly with just just one word. That's sort of the norm now, and seeing. The option offenses or, you know, whether no, I guess nobody really runs anything off the wing tee anymore. But you see offenses like that as a defense. The first time you see it, it's very foreign to you and your players and your program. You can't get a you can't really replicate it in practice, the speed of it and the deception of it. So it takes, you know, maybe uh, several quarters, maybe a whole game to see it. But St. John Fisher um, has seen Salisbury now enough times to think, you know, a, a team as talented as that defensively could get a handle on it. And they, they really uh, just weren't able to on Saturday. St. John, uh, I mean, Salisbury, you know, 312 yards rushing, five yards per rush. So about what what they what a normal Salisbury day would be for when they were really clicking, uh, you know, and I don't know if they had a heyday, but certainly. Uh, coming in off a couple of losses, I, I didn't think this would 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 be that great of a game. I thought St. John Fisher would would play a lot better, and uh, Salisbury really controlled it, led by ten uh, in the second half of that game. St. John Fisher had to come back to force overtime, and then kick the field goal in in their half of the overtime, and that always is a is a you know risky proposition because you got to take the points and get the lead, but you know sometimes you give up that touchdown and it's over. 
And it was just two plays later that uh, Salisbury was in the end zone celebrating and the game was over. And, you know, Salisbury has, uh, you know, was in that position where, you know, we had, uh, I don't say written them off, but, you know, we didn't think they were going to be contenders, at least in terms of uh, rankings, maybe in a position to play spoiler uh, in the Empire 8. And, well, uh, at the very least, spoiled an unbeaten, uh, attempted an unbeaten regular season for St. John Fisher and kept themselves, uh, kept Salisbury right in the uh, Empire 8 title hunt at the moment yeah that empire eight is is really topsy-turvy at this point right now uh ithaca is is the only team left undefeated there are uh, four or five teams with uh with one conference loss so it's going to be a a pretty interesting race you know alfred and brockport state two teams we thought would be pretty good and and probably still at least challengers to some degree they have two conference losses already so uh they they may be relegated to spoiler roles we'll see because right now we're looking at you know a nine team conference with eight pretty good teams in it and and then frostburg state is is two and three uh they're probably the only team who's who's really not a dangerous team at this point so it's quite the um the, the interesting race and i think those are those are fun to watch um i should kind of Clarify something I said earlier about this game too that uh, that Salisbury led by ten, but St. John Fisher actually scored the next three touchdowns and and came back and took the lead in that game with uh, by a touchdown with about six minutes left, and then Salisbury had to put together a uh, a fourteen play drive, score with eighteen seconds left to tie that and send that game into overtime. So um, back and forth kind of game, and especially in Salisbury's case, I mean I imagine they they felt like they were in control when they were up 10 and then St. John Fisher took really what seized the momentum in that one. And, uh, and then, you know, to seize the momentum and score first in overtime, even though it's only the field goal, you may feel pretty good about yourself, but all it takes is a couple of good plays in overtime with the way the setup is, you get the ball on the 25 and, uh, and you know, you know, that, that you can't turn it over obviously, but, uh, you know, field goal, tie it and touchdown will win it. And, and it's, I, I, I remember playing, you know, uh, they instituted the rule in, in 1996. So we actually, you know, had a had a practice. This is like the middle of my career. And we had a practice in the in the preseason where all we did was work on overtime situations because it was completely foreign to us. And I remember not liking the rule a whole lot at the time, um, although we, we'd had that, of course, somewhat famous to Epic. us anyway, tie the year before. Hey, it's uh, in the it's in the record book as the highest scoring tie in Division three history. So we can right. uh, reference it all we want. It's a record. Right, without being completely biased, that right. uh, was between our alma maters. But yeah, so we had the fifty-fifty tie. So I guess we were we were excited to welcome overtime. But it, I, I remember being kind of skeptical of the rule. But you look at what's happened uh, lately. You know, the play of the week last week was that Christopher Newport play, a twenty-five yard run, game ender. Everybody goes crazy. You look at the way Salisbury was able to withstand three touchdowns. Uh, giving up in the second half, blowing a ten-point lead, you know, coming back and giving up a field goal, they're still trailing in overtime, and then, and then, uh, you know, to score a touchdown and win. So I, I think the overtime rule um, really has been a pretty great addition to uh, to, to Division Three football, and and you know, it adds so much excitement. We even go back a couple weeks before the Rose Holman game. I mean, almost you know, every great finish we've talked about so far this season has been uh, has been an overtime finish. Uh, before we leave our uh, opening segment, our top stories here, I just want to throw out a name that we've uh, haven't and I haven't had a chance to actually say out loud yet at all. But that is uh, John Carroll k- kicker Kresmir Ivkovich. See, I can't even even if I know. I think in my head I know how to say it. 
Uh, I still can't get it out. Uh, so he kicked that 43-yard field goal. He's had, I think he's three for six this year, but last year he was like 20 for 24 on field goals and uh, a name that uh, you may hear again, possibly even pronounced correctly or without stumbling. Yeah, and, and in D3, you know, a lot of times we, we form our football opinion sort of by watching football on Sundays, we watch the NFL, and you think, yeah, you know, anything that's about a 50-yard field goal is good. But D3, it can get shaky outside of 40. So you got a guy that can hit from 43 uh, or can hit, you know, pretty much anything longer than 35, 40 consistently. Then you have a, another weapon. In, in the, you know, we've seen games, Pat, you and I, where the, where the team has completely lost faith in its kicker and they'll go for it on fourth down, you know, from like the 25 or something like that. Yeah, or go for two on every, uh, on every touchdown, something yeah. like that. I'm going to give my game ball to Withler Marcelin of Rowan. As a junior running back, he had 172 all-purpose yards just in the first quarter and then ran for a total of 245 yards and three touchdowns on the day as Rowan defeated Cortland State 38-14. Uh, just a big day for, for Rowan altogether. Uh, and I just want to throw a shout-out to Eddie Davis, who broke up four passes for the profs, three of them on third down. Um, you know, we we talked a, a little bit about this game previously uh, before it was played. Was there a chance that Cortland State could uh, get off the schneid for the kind of disastrous way the season started? Could they get themselves off on the right foot in the end, Jack? And that didn't really happen. No, and and, and the end, Jack, is, is another one of those conferences where it could be you know, any number of teams that, that wins it. And now, uh, you know, even Cortland State having that rough start that they had, the cool thing about the AQ system, of course, is that, that uh, you know, you can kind of wipe away your, your non-conference mistakes by getting off to a good start in conference play, and, and they, they haven't done that. Uh, my game ball, I, I guess I need like a whole order of balls, like a, like a sack of them, a set of, uh, of, of footballs to, to give for these uh, for, for game balls because uh, I was impressed by W&J. I, I thought that that WJ Thomas Moore game was going to be a much better game than it turned out to be. Uh, 51-28, Presidents win that one uh, fairly easily, and uh, that, that was a pretty big surprise. Um, but the the kind of the crazy thing was the way they won it. You know, if you just take a look at the box score, you, you got game balls for Pete Coughlin, 25-35 passing, 383 passing yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. Right there, you know, the no interceptions is big, and we'll come back to that. You got a a, a 34 carry 117 yard performance from Ryan Ruffing in the backfield you got Daniel Liss or Lease I'm I should I should have uh, listened to the broadcast uh, so I could pronounce his name correctly but nine catches 188 yards three touchdowns a big 77 yard touchdown catch in that game you know so you have great offensive performances all over but I, I thought as well as giving those game balls to uh, to Pete Coughlin in the offense you got to give it to the defense in that game because even though Dominique Hayden the All-American running back had uh, 183 yards rushing and three touchdowns for Thomas Moore and uh, was averaging seven and a half yards a carry in that game. Uh, they held Jensen Gephardt to just 11 of 26 passing. They had two turnovers and three fumble recoveries in that game. So five big turnovers. You, you look at you know two teams who were fairly evenly matched in, in, uh, in total offense. I guess not, not quite evenly, but it wasn't like Thomas Moore was shut down by any means. 452 yards of total offense, good balance. Um, 267 passing, 185 rushing. Uh, they weren't shut down by any means, but but in that it was it was never a close game really. Uh, again, W and J, uh, 51-28. They led by 10 pretty much the whole time, or you know 10 or more. There was there was a point in the second quarter where it was a field goal game, but other than that, uh, it was W and J all the way. 
Yeah, I, th- I would have to think that we'll see uh, W&J in the poll again, as always. You guys will have seen the poll before we do because we're recording this before the poll comes out. Uh, but my team on the rise, whether they make the poll again or not, is Hampton-Sydney. Um, you know, we may not have any room for any new teams because we've been having a bunch of losses at the bottom. Uh, W&J obviously seems like an obvious choice to go into the poll, but Hampton-Sydney had no trouble with Catholic at all whatsoever. Um, they have in the past sometimes, and the Tigers certainly merit the look. They were uh, they were up sixty two nothing. I mean, it's you, you look at it. It was a sixty two fourteen game, and it wasn't as close as it seems. Uh, Hampton said he scored the first sixty two points, and then Catholic scored twice in the final three fifty four. Um, you know, Catholic's a pretty young team this year, but uh, you know, Hampton Sydney picked off TJ Two Tone four times. Nash Nance played only like one series after the after halftime. Uh, you know, they spread the ball around. You know, whatever. It's just a. a a track meet at uh, Catholic and uh, I think Hampton Sydney, if they don't get it back into the poll this week, uh, if they keep winning, it'll be much, much sooner rather than later. Yeah. You remember they, they opened the season with the loss at Wabash, but um, you know, the thing with them, of course, is you always confident they'll have offense. I think I may have even said this on the podcast already this year. You know, the question with Hampton Sydney usually is what kind of defense will they have and, uh, and, and what kind of offensive line will they have to protect uh, whoever their star quarterback is in any given year. And it looks like this year they, they may have had, they may have both of those things. Um, as far as who's going to rise in the poll this week, you mentioned W&J, sort of an obvious choice. So I, I thought I'd go a little, a little further down the line. And, uh, you know, sometimes early in the season, poll, you, you think, eh, you know, the team 1-0, 2-0, you kind of put them on your radar and uh, and and keep them at that on that list of 10 teams that you're not quite voting for yet but you you keep watching them each week uh are sinus now 5 and 0 yep. and and that and that's a team where you you can't quite determine how good that 5 and 0 is until they play Johns Hopkins in Muhlenberg and and both of those games aren't till, until November so uh that's a team that you know halfway through the season now you start to think maybe they're fairly legit but I, but I think just like you kind of waited on Thomas Moore or people were waiting on W&J to see how they did against Thomas Moore and, and W&J is going to jump into the poll this week. I think, you know, you may not see teams like our make a move until they play that that real uh, top team in their conference. But at five and oh, I, I think we do have to start talking about them. We'll at least see them, uh, you know, creep up in the also getting votes section. Well, I know you can't jinx them uh, by saying that because the entire Centennial Conference has a bye week next week. So uh, you're uh, you're you're safe there. Um I think my team that's going to head downward in the poll, obviously, I I just like to avoid the obvious choices, the teams that lose. And I wanted to look at Wisconsin-Stevens Point. Them, uh, you know, barely surviving at River Falls makes last week's game uh, look like kind of an aberration, the game in which they beat North Central. And uh, Tyler Dickin looked a little more in command for North Central this week. Uh, You know, if if you're looking for a mitigating factor or a reason why uh, Stevens Point might have struggled, the one thing you can point to is, Wisconsin River Falls finally opening its stadium after they had a delay in the uh, offseason getting a, getting their turf installed. So River Falls, uh, a really late home opener, uh, a little bit of enthusiasm around that program. You know, River Falls also won a non-conference game, which they don't always do. So, um, you know, River Falls might be uh, two years later than I might have thought they would be. They might be uh, ready to bounce up in that conference a little bit, but uh, still not enough for uh, a team that would be ranked, uh, that we ranked in the top 20 to go there and struggle and have to pull out a win in the final minutes. Yeah. And, and 
you know, just a big, big contrast between last week and, and this week for the pointers. Um, you mentioned, you know, trying to avoid the obvious teams, just just picking the teams that lost. But I think, uh, you know, St. John Fisher and Pacific Lutheran, which uh, we haven't mentioned so far in the podcast, losing to Linfield. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to move down a couple of spots. I think a team that could that could drop a few spots, even though they won, is John Carroll. And, uh, you know, just having to, to battle to beat Ohio Northern, as we mentioned, a team that gave up 69 points its last time out. And uh, it's not that John Carroll, I think, is necessarily bad. They're still top 25 worthy team. But you start to get to the point, especially with teams, um, some highly ranked teams losing, whether it was North Central last week or St. John Fisher this week, where John Carroll starts to creep up into the, you know, number five, six, seven area. And, and now you have to ask, you know, is the fifth, sixth, seventh ranked team in the country really only going to beat Ohio Northern uh, by seven? Uh, you know, those are things you, you, you do as you as you go through your poll each week. Uh, sometimes there are tiers and there's a clear top five or six teams in the country. And then you, and then you just don't know who to put uh, in there afterward. I think there, there's been some very dominant teams early on this season. Mountain Union, Whitewater, Mary Harden, Baylor, Wesley, as usual, and and you get too much beyond that. Maybe maybe Linfield is definitely in there as your five, but you've already had uh, losses by by your big Mayak teams, Bethel and St. Thomas. You've already had uh, uh, North Central defeated. So you know what, what do you do when you get to that six seven range? Do you do you go to Hobart and Johns Hopkins, or or do you stick with John Carroll? Good question. And I think for people you know who don't. Uh, who just look at the ranking in the poll and don't observe, you know, uh, some of the other indicators. One thing to look at, uh, think about it this week too. Uh, when you when the poll comes out, compare uh, John Carroll's vote totals this week compared to last week. And if John Carroll doesn't gain at least about twenty points or so because uh, St. John Fisher lost, uh, there's an opportunity, a potential for uh, for John Carroll to pick up some of those uh, some of those points. Um, you know, then you know that the voters have uh, maybe uh, reevaluated things and just didn't uh, like John Carroll's win as much as they might have liked some other ones. So those are just things to watch out. And <clears throat> Keith mentioned the tiers. Um, you know, look, look, look to see where there's a big gap in the voting as well. You know, and there's uh, you've got a bunch of teams bunched up and then you have, you know, like an 80 point gap between number eight and number nine uh, between Warburg and Hobart. There were 57 points of a gap. That's a that's a pretty significant gap at that point in the poll. So you're moving outside the top 25 for a little bit uh, off the beaten path a little bit, a little bit under the radar is Luther College in Decorah, Iowa. They improved to 4-0. They beat Dubuque. Uh, second year under coach Aaron Hafner, it seems like the Norse have finally gotten this option thing down. J.J. Sirios rushing for 224 yards and a couple of scores, throwing for 97 in the uh, win, a 28-14 win against the University of Dubuque. And the Norse did it on defense as well. They picked off Zach Fry four times. Uh, in fact, that means that uh, Fry completed as many passes to Luther defenders as he did to star receiver Tyler Rutenbeck. So let me ask you this, Keith. Uh, you know, obviously the option offense dominates the uh, time of possession when it's done well. Is it easier for uh, Luther to play defense if you're only on the field for 23 minutes? Yeah, in, in most cases, yes. I mean, occasionally that stat could be misleading if, you're, if your defense is only on the field for a short amount of time because it's giving up long touchdowns. But I, as, long as, you, as yeah. long as you're not giving up big plays and your offense is controlling the clock, it, it's much, yeah, it's certainly much easier, especially on, on days when the weather is, is at an, any kind of extreme, which I don't think it really was yeah, today. No. But, but that's, you know, for speaking generally, whether it's super hot, super cold or, or wet, 
uh, some kind of precipitation, you know, the, the less time you have to be out there, the better. Luther's got a bit of a gauntlet to run here. They uh, host Central, uh, and they go to Buena Vista, go to Warburg, host Co. So, uh, you know, but still four and zero for the first time in who knows how long. Uh, that's a uh, that's a big turnaround for uh, for Luther, which had been pretty down for a couple of years. Yeah, and and you know it, it's very strange too when you you don't you haven't always heard of the the coach coming in. Uh, Aaron Hafner is a guy who came from William Penn, and 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 uh, they had a pretty successful run there. But for us who follow D three, we don't follow the NAIA team, so we don't know uh, you know what kind of what kind of coach you're getting. And uh, turns out, obviously, he's got that program pointed in the right direction. Here's a highlight that remember last week we said on this podcast, you know, you just got to see this play, the, the Christopher Newport Methodist play. You just got to go on the site, you know, watch the YouTube clip and, and you got to see this. We got another one of those this week. It's not the same kind of play, completely different, but just as much on the line. Uh, Carnegie Mellon and Westminster, Pennsylvania. Uh, it, it, the final part of this game, uh, 50-yard field goal, which is, was set up. Uh, only made possible, kind of like in the Buffalo State, I think it was Buff State, Cortland, uh, only made possible because a penalty brought him within range. It's a 50-yard field goal um, with no time on the clock. All right, Carnegie Mellon's already scored to tie this game in, in the final minute. They already scored once. They got the ball. No, no time left. 50-yard field goal. And you, I'm not going to tell you what happens with the kick. <laughs> Obviously, it's a, it's good, and they win the game. But you gotta you gotta see it yourself because the the uh, the the visual is really special. Yeah, you gotta go see it. So if you do, uh, go to our uh, week five roundup or go to our uh, Carnegie Mellon Westminster game story. Yeah. So there's uh, if I get this correct, there's an interception, and then there is a uh, there's an unsportsmanlike uh, conduct penalty, which adds an untimed down. So this is it. That kid uh, comes out and. Um, kicks that field goal with uh, no time left on the clock and a, a pretty fun atmosphere for uh, Carnegie Mellon. And, and, you know, Carnegie Mellon, you know, we talked about them and Case kind of both being in that mass middle of the pack in the uh, President's Athletic Conference. And, uh, you know, right now they're uh, right in the middle, two and two and two and two in the league. Yeah, and, and that's a – I guess it's just – it's tough to figure out where teams – slot in when they come into a league brand new and so these games you know tell us a little bit about it but it was such a close game that uh that that i guess you don't really know what to make of it i don't know if you want to go back to the the play calling in that game and and uh and question it or or review it but westminster gets the ball after carnegie mellon ties the game they threw uh they threw three times, and that's how they got a, they got a pass picked off. Obviously, they're trying to go down the field and put themselves in field goal range for their own winning kick. But um, you know, there's also the option there at that point because you know you start off uh, after the kickoff. They start off on the 25. There's also the, also the option of uh, of just you know trying to kneel it out and go into overtime. I guess you got to give them credit for trying to to, to pass the ball down the field and, and uh, get in field goal range. But uh, you get yourself in trouble if you throw a pick, and that's what happened. And then of course the, the penalty on top of it made this this amazing moment possible. I guess you know that if you're going into overtime against a team with a kid who can kick a field goal from 49 yards that you don't want to try you try to want to not get into overtime at all and try to win it in regulation i guess that's the uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah if you if you can help it, you know, and you, you hindsight, of course, is twenty twenty. You 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 can second guess people after the fact uh, because you know what how it turned out. But I, yeah, I think at the time, you know, maybe it's the smart decision to try to get down the field and get yourself in field goal range rather than roll the dice with overtime. Because as we saw in the St. John Fisher Salisbury game, you know, you may have some moderate success in overtime by kicking the field goal, then you give up the touchdown, you lose. So uh, that, that's what makes the game fun: the the, the amount of things that can happen. Yeah, and when you have 120 games or so in a weekend, there's a lot of things that can happen. Uh, some surprising things that happen, for example, Carthage winning at Illinois Wesleyan 20-10. to 10. Um, I saw these two teams play at Carthage last year on a frigid night in mid-October, um, and, you know, Illinois Wesleyan was just, you know, quietly dominant, and it's mind-boggling to me that that result could turn around so quickly in just a year. Uh, so Titans freshman quarterback Jack Warner didn't play because of illness, um, and you know, even though Illinois Wesleyan brought in a starting cornerback to run the offense, I'm still surprised that they lost this game. So that's Tyler Bolden. Uh, he was 18 of 37 passing. He had 201 yards through the air, 137 yards on the ground. He played quarterback for, uh, for the Titans in 2012 when Rob Gallick was hurt. He was one of the three guys that Illinois Wesleyan tried to replace Gallick with, uh, during that, uh, season ending four game losing streak in which they, uh, went from being ranked in a, a playoff contender to completely out of the playoffs when their starting quarterback hurt, got hurt. I, I, I dare say, um, you know, not that Illinois Wesleyan, especially after, uh, you know, having lost a game already this season, uh, it was going to be thought of in that high a regard and, and thought of as a CCIW, uh, true contender, like they were a couple years ago. Uh, still, if they don't have, uh, and, and Warner, uh, may have mono. So if he's not back at all this year, they're in a, a, a deep world of hurt once again. And that was a pretty memorable fall for uh, from uh, six and zero to to out of the playoffs, as you mentioned for uh, for Illinois Wesleyan. So, uh, yeah, you, you could hope they don't get in that in that situation again. You lose your quarterback. Uh, sometimes that that can that can really derail a season. For a, a surprising result, of course, the the top twenty five results were were there were a couple of you know the big surprises. Just the margin of victory in the in the W and J game, uh, Salisbury's win over St John Fisher. But here was one a little further down the the list that that stood out to me. After Millsaps got drubbed last week by East Texas Baptist, you figure, well, they're gonna they're, they got Hendricks next week. Maybe they'll get right against Hendricks. And and Hendricks has been. You know, pretty much since they restarted football, a surprisingly successful team. But Millsaps was a was a you know on the verge of the playoffs last season, and uh, right now they're they're one and three. Hendricks beat them on Saturday, thirty five thirty, and it wasn't even necessarily as close as the final score uh, for the majority of the fourth quarter. Uh, Hendricks led that game 28-16. Millsaps, uh, you know, scored in the final minute. There ended up being actually three scores in the final minute 11 of that game, but it was all, you know, Millsaps was trying to catch up, and then uh, uh, they got a, a short, you know, one of those short kickoffs that, that gets run back. So Hendricks had a 46-yard kickoff return touchdown after Millsaps closed the gap to five points in that game. Long story short, that's a, that's a really um, – fairly big win for for Hendricks because you know Hendricks has uh, for for a second year program we've seen them win we've seen them put up big numbers um offensively but but to beat a f- really legit D3 program i think shows you you know how quickly you can get a program going 
uh, you know, if things fall the right way for you. Hendricks, uh, it obviously, it took him a long time to actually get the, the the team out on the field. It was rumored for years that they were they were going to start football, but uh, but now they have it. You know, to have a four and zero season this early on, I think, is fairly surprising. So I just googled what airport do I fly into to get to Conway, Arkansas, and the uh, the answer is Little Rock, by the way. So uh, you know, I'm seeing. Uh, I'm I'm looking at that November one game uh, where they host center. I don't, you know, the other amazing thing that stands out from that game is they they gave up 530 yards uh, total offense. Millsaps ran 81 plays, gained six and a half yards a play. So they it wasn't like they Millsaps wasn't having any success. But you know, sometimes the stats don't tell the whole story. Yeah, and it's a, uh, but it's just interesting that the this especially because. Uh, at the beginning of the season, last season, there were, um, you know, uh, so many uh, brand new programs come in with like 100 kids. And Hendricks came in, I think, with about 54 to open camp. And they had some injuries and they were playing with under 50 guys for a lot of the year last year. And yet they were the best of the three new programs last year by a significant margin. And they're uh, the best of the three again this year by a significant margin as well. Yeah. And, and you know, now that's a team that bears watching, not just in the, oh, this is a cool novelty new program, let's see how many games they can win type away. But now they bear watching in a, you know, maybe they'll contend for a, for a conference title, for a playoff spot kind of way. Yeah. On, the, on the flip side, the majors, I think this is, this is strange for them because coming off a 9-1 season, um, you know, regardless of how many kids you graduate, you, you feel like you got the ball rolling, especially the season before that. They were seven-game winners, so it's kind of like the program was was uh, was set to reach the heights that they reached probably back in 2008, uh, kind of to get back to that level. And uh, they opened up with Mary Harden Baylor. You knew that was going to be tough. They went on the road from Mississippi to Ohio to, to beat Mount St. Joseph. And then the past two weeks, the the, the wheels have kind of come off pretty quickly. The, the big loss, 68-15 last Saturday at East Texas Baptist and then losing at Hendricks. Uh, now they got a, the week off to, to stew over that too before they play Birmingham Southern. Stat of the week, I'm looking at uh, Delaware Valley. Uh, these guys are missing seven of their projected starters on defense. Six of them are out for the season. So uh, from that standpoint, I think it's a, a little bit amazing that the Aggies have managed to start the season 4-0. Uh, so Delval obviously has been making up for it on offense. They've scored 50-plus each of the last three weeks going into the game with Lyco next week. And uh, I, from what I've been told, uh, one of the uh, big strategies for them is just to throw it up uh, and let Rashid Bailey uh, run under it and go get it. Nine catches for 252 yards on Saturday with four touchdowns. The season numbers on this guy are, are pretty darn amazing. And, uh, you know, DelVal needs all the offense they can get right now. That's a lot of starters out on defense. I mean, yeah, that, it that, is. Yeah, that is a, a very... Uh... Uh, outstanding stat. Not you know any numbers you put up with with that many guys out is uh, is impressive, and it's nice that they have an offense that can carry them. Yeah, and they like I said, they definitely need it. Uh, but fifty plus points each of the last three weeks, and including some against teams who you know at least have been decent in the very recent past. Here's a team that's been decent in the very recent past: uh, Mountain Union. And I've heard of them. Usually this time of, of the year, they have to do something really amazing to get mentioned on the podcast because even, you know, Mountain Union beating Capital by a bunch of touchdowns, not really that abnormal. But they won on Saturday 75 nothing, which even in itself, not all that abnormal. Uh, but they, they scored 75 points and only gave up 60 yards. That's a pretty amazing stat. And on top of that, that's not even my m- main stat of the week. Here's an e- even more amazing thing to me. 
Mount Union rushed for eight touchdowns in that game, and that's a school record. And when you go back and look at the number of rushers that have that have come through Mount Union, you know, not all their great offenses have been run offenses. There, you go back to uh, Bill Borchardt and Jim Ballard; they were a certainly pass passing team. Uh, but Chuck Moore, Dan Pugh. Uh, Nate Kamik, you know, you have Gallardi Trophy winners in there. You have the all-time NCAA rush leader. None, they never had a – and a 75 nothing blowout is not that abnormal for Mountain Union. They win games by 30, 40, 50 all the time. Never had anybody, never had anybody rush for eight uh, touchdowns in a game before. So uh, the, the fact that there are even any school records left to be set at Mountain Union that are, that are actually attainable offensively is, uh, is sort of amazing. So those are my stats of the week. <laughs> that's, that's, your, uh, that's your takeaway. That's the, uh, that's the nut graph right there at the end. Um, and they had two more touchdowns. Uh, Kevin Burke threw for a pair of scores as well. Uh, yes, it was Brandon Williams with three, BJ Mitchell and Jamal Johnson with two, Logan Nemeth with one. Um, and, you know, nobody uh, even carried the ball more than eight times. Brandon Williams, six carries, three of them for touchdowns. It, it's got to be strange to play for Mountain Union at this point in the season because, you know, they may be in a situation where their practices are the, are the hardest thing thing that they do you know or maybe the best look they get some weeks out of the year because um you know you're you're getting eight carries in a game your quarterback's throwing 15 or 20 passes you're playing a half three you know two and a half quarters three quarters some weeks it's uh it's you know it's got to be a little bit disjointing but there's a residual effect and we've seen that over the past 20 years now for the rest of your program is that your twos get work against other teams ones your threes get get work they play on Saturdays they're not overwhelmed by the moment when they actually get a chance to start so uh, you know obviously Mount Union spends a lot of time working on its depth and, and honing that depth in big games but it, it's it's kind of amazing that they they win by so many points so regularly that we kind of just eh, ho hum I mean I, I'm, I'm numb to it. To be honest with you, it takes a eight eight rushing touchdowns or seventy five points and sixty yards for me to you know perk up a little bit. But it, it also is wild that there was a time not all that long ago where Capital was a top five program. Uh, I believe it was Jim Collins who had them you know right up there. Rocky Pantella was the quarterback, and and Mount and Capital played you know a handful or at least more than one barn burner games with Mount Union. Those were top five teams going at it, and, and now it's a seventy five point game. It's the it's the sixty yards of total offense. That's just uh, that's just mind blowing to me. Looking ahead, obviously, to that week eleven game between John Carroll and Mount Union. Best predictions from this week, Keith. Uh, you you put uh, Bethany on the radar. They beat Case twenty five fourteen. I thought it was a pretty good call. Ryan uh, Tibbs had b- both had Thomas Moore going down, and he had uh, Millsaps Hendricks called out as a surprisingly close game, which it was surprisingly close in the other direction. Yeah. Uh- you're right. I, I liked uh, Tips had a he had a pretty nice run uh, on, on the picks this week. I was the, the Thomas Moore one. I, I I don't think I would have picked W and J to win, and uh, and they crushed. Uh, Ryan hit a, hit a couple other good picks uh, this week as well. The only one he missed, I think, was was Bates surprisingly beating Williams, and, and he picked Williams to get back on track. But uh, but yeah, those are my uh, those are my best predictions. And I thought uh, you had a pretty good one too. Uh, Pointing out that Wash U uh, at Barry would be surprisingly close, and like you said with uh, with uh, Millsaps Hendricks, it was so surprisingly close that Barry won their first game. Yeah, kudos to the Vikings. Uh, they win the first game in the uh, program's history, uh, pick up the first win in the program's history. Zero and twelve to start off their career, and then they uh, beat Wash U on Saturday night 
in overtime in front of a huge crowd because it was the 100th anniversary of Mountain Day. Don't ask me to explain what that means, but everybody was talking about it at Barry, so apparently that's a huge thing in Mount Barry, Georgia. So congrats to Tony Koncheski and the uh, rest of the crew there, and also kind of spoiling the uh, thousandth game in WashU football history. And that is a, a long and, and illustrious history. Uh, you want to move on to some bad predictions? <laughs> there were a few to pick from. Uh, yeah, yeah, there yeah. were some. So I, I, I think I mentioned uh, I, I very half-heartedly, but nonetheless thinking that uh, it, it was even worth listing Lyco potentially getting upset, uh, and they won 31-10. to 10. Uh, Thomas Moore and WJ, not really the game of the week. Um, it was not a game for most of the week. Uh, so those were not my uh, those were not shining moments for me in triple take this week. No, and I, and I had a not shining moment either. And and you know, the most likely top twenty five to team to be upset is probably the toughest pick that we make each week because you're you're saying some good team out there is going to yeah. lose. And some weeks, pretty much every week, one or two or three do. But but um, you know, picking the right one can be tough. I kind of was writing this one, and I realized, man, I'm I'm stretching this one out here because. Uh, Eau Claire had only scored 24 points coming into the game, but you know the, the logic was, well, it was against St. Thomas, St. John's, and Wheaton. That's some of the best teams in the country, so it's hard to get a read on, uh, on just how whether their offense was really inept or did they just play three really good teams. Platteville, of course, was a, a team that we thought re- was really good coming into the season. Had some sketchy results in there, so we weren't too sure. I figured this may be a chance for, uh, for the Blue Golds to uh you know to surprise a little bit and then you know just to make sure this wasn't completely off base uh you look back at the game last year and and uh Eau Claire led that game at halftime they led later in the third quarter after they ran back a kick 98 yards so it seemed like a good idea at the time turns out Platteville wins 49 to nothing moving on to the lightning round and we're already uh coming up on the 45 minute mark and we're trying to keep it uh in that uh range so this will be fun um, well, Utica, let's see, Anthony Acevedo was out and they certainly missed him on offense and they lost to Ithaca on Saturday. That was not, uh, that was not pretty on offense for the pioneers. No. And, and that, that cup couple that with the, the St. John Fisher loss, we talked about it earlier that the empire eight way topsy turvy. Uh, also you got to talk about the Hartwick game. Yeah. Uh, Jason Boltus inducted into the hall of fame at Hartwick and his alma mater rallies from a 20 to three deficit to beat Alfred 34, 30. Uh, John Garcia didn't look all that Boltus-like. He was 15-33, to 33, but he certainly make Tanner Williams look like the next coming of Jack Phelan. Uh, Phelan, uh, I'm sorry, Williams had nine catches for 207. I just want to say, the only reason I knew Boltus was inducted into the Hall of Fame is because he posted a pre-Hall of Fame selfie on Facebook uh, on Saturday afternoon, so that's how I found out about that. Um, Augustana, they keep finding ways to to bottom out. Now they're 1-3 uh, with losses this season to Mount St. Joseph, Hope, and Elmhurst. They lost to Elmhurst on Saturday. Hey, look, if you're getting inducted to a Hall of Fame, you're, you're allowed to take a selfie of yourself. <laughs> That's uh, fair enough. Well, you wouldn't take a selfie of somebody else, although his, his, uh, his wife was in that picture, actually, so never mind. Would, yeah, would it be called an Elsie or something? All right. Um, <laughs> I don't think Augustana, her name is Elsie. It's something else. Augustana finds new lows. I think we, we mentioned it with, with uh, Capital. You know, these things move in cycles. And, and you know, St. Olaf is another program that, that was was really good at one point and, and is struggling. Uh, I, I don't know if I can can come up with any more off the top of my head, but, uh, you know, maybe Trinity, Occidental. They're, they're, it's, it's, we do this long enough. You see teams cycle through and it makes the teams that never have a bad year all that more amazing. That's true. Uh, sh- uh, 
first of all, a hat tip to Ryan Tips and then a shout out to Eric Speedle, uh, who played his first football game ever on Saturday. Uh, previously known as Wesley College's third baseman, he was eight for eight on extra points, had a touchdown saving tackle on a kickoff in that win against uh, Louisiana College. And um, you, you may have already read about this in Snap Judgments, that that was a, uh, a good enough note that I had to repeat it and give uh, Tips some credit for that because that was a pretty cool pickup. Um, some, you know, some interesting teams for now, we've touched on a bunch of them. Obviously we talked about Luther. Uh, we talked about Hendricks, uh, you see St. Scholastica came back from, uh, two scores down and 10 points down in the final six minutes to beat Northwestern. They're four and oh, um, and it's a, uh, you know, we're always, there are always some surprise teams, but, um, you know, this year is a, just an, another interesting crop. Yeah, I, I think we mentioned a, a handful of them already. Yep. Um, MIT four and Rose Holman, you know, quite easily could could have a loss um, with those exciting the, the the some of the exciting games they've played so far. Uh, Luther d- definitely one of the ones that stands out. Of course, we talked about that already, and you know a lot of the uh, you know the the usual names also at four and as well, and and ones that don't jump out. But I think the Luther. Uh, Chicago, Rose Holman. It's nice to see teams that don't necessarily um, always have success um, have some. And while we're on four and O teams, Guilford is another one. Uh, again, this was we mentioned this a couple times. Now they we call this one in kickoff. Not only are they four and O, this is the third time out of their four weeks where they've scored fifty two points on the nose. Uh, we did not call Emory and Henry as a surprise uh, team in, in kickoff, but they're 4-0 as well. Sorry, Keith, I know they beat your alma mater on Saturday. Yeah, podcast folks can't see my face cringing right now, but it is. We, if you want to send us, just post a selfie to Twitter, people. Oh, boy. Yeah, okay. that, was, that was nice bringing that back. I'm impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Morrisville State, how about that? 4-1, uh, four wins for the first time. Uh, the, the, the school release notes that they're 4-1 for the first time in their Division Three uh, history. It's four wins in a season for the first time in their Division Three history. Yeah, and, and this was a really good junior college program that wanted to make the transition to, to be in a four-year program, and it, it wasn't a smooth transition. It takes time to sort of change your whole institutional philosophy and in, in the type of athletes you recruit to build the program, especially you're in a competitive area uh, in, in upstate New York where there's tons of D3 programs. So, uh, you know, kudos for them to, to, for finally getting it on track, and it's happening in a season when the NJAC appears to be kind of open for the taking. It does indeed. Uh, how about, let's see, USA South. Uh, Maryville, they had a big crowd, maybe not 10,000 fans, but they had uh, 299 rushing yards and they blew out LaGrange. Yeah, and, and that's a that's a that's one of the contrast of styles we highlighted in uh, in Triple Take. And, and, you know, one of those styles really won out. Obviously, the Maryville, uh, the, the, they're a run-based team. LaGrange likes to take to the air and, and uh, Maryville dominate. Five and O Texas Lutheran, uh, a big uh, big rushing day for Marquise Barola, and he broke the record of a guy who set a record against a school from Mexico. So I don't even know if that really counts as a record, but a, a big day for him. Yeah, and 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 now a big season for uh, for Texas Lutheran. You look at, at at TLU, and then you look at Millsaps, two teams both on the outside looking in with one loss last season on the the edge of the the playoffs, and and you know none of it's guaranteed. Texas Lutherans taking what they've done last year and built on it. They're five and zero now. Especially, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago about that really uh, exciting finish they had at Louisiana College. And then on the flip side, you know, you see Millsap struggling. So none of, none of it is guaranteed to repeat. Just because you're nine and one or eight and one one season doesn't mean it necessarily will happen the next year. 
Texas Lutheran has been really good about nominating plays for plays of the week this season. Uh, just from reading the description of the Jordan Sims 95-yard interception return, I want to see it. So let's make sure that that uh, play gets to us as well. Uh, and they've been really good about that. Uh, staying in Texas, staying in the SCAC. We've covered half the SCAC now in the last 40 seconds. Uh, Austin College, third straight win, and it could continue. Yeah, this was one of the ones I, I kind of I think I forgot to mention last week. They had an exciting uh, finish or a exciting win last week, and we just were so overwhelmed last week with all these other exciting finishes, we forgot to mention that one. But this is now three in a row for them, and they have three winnable games coming up with Southwest Assemblies of God, uh, Hendricks, who we mentioned, and then they play Southwestern, who they beat on Saturday. They play them again, so they could actually get to to six straight wins. You know, the Hendricks game may be a pretty big one, but uh, but – uh, they have a nice winnable next three before they play Texas Lutheran. Keith, I don't know if I detected a little tone in your voice when you mentioned Southwest Assemblies of God. That's one of those NAIA schools that we seem to, uh, our Texas and American Southwest and SCAC schools seem to play fairly often. Yeah, you know, it's one of the, maybe like Southern Virginia, you know, eventually you'll see them them join D3, maybe. I, I don't know if that, that's, it just seems like they're always on everybody's schedule. Plus, uh, I like, you know, I like to mention them because their, their acronym breaks up to SWAG, which is, just cracks me up. <laughs> um, how about DePauw? DePauw had, uh, you know, had some really bad seasons under Rob Long, and they seem to be putting, turning it back around at least a little bit. Yeah, this is a, a stat I ripped right off Twitter, but... Um, so this this credit goes to to their uh, official tweets. Um, three of the teams they're they're three they're three and one so far. Their only losses to Wittenberg sort of excusable, um, but they've beaten Sewanee, Kenyon, Denison uh, early in this season's early going, and that's three teams that they lost to last season. So as you begin that turnaround and and, and bring DePaul back to respectability, you got to beat the teams that that beat you last year. They're they're getting three doses of revenge so far, and they're at Oberlin next week. Uh, I, I know I'm sure they didn't lose by 47 to Wabash last year, but uh, they, they, there's some points to turn around if they uh, get to the Monon Bell game in week 11 and they're still on some of that streak. Uh, they did have 10,000 fans, uh, 10,890 at Wisconsin Whitewater is uh, Whitewater just kind of uh, very easily cruised past. Lacrosse, thirty-eight to seven. Whitewater had the ball for forty-two eleven, and when you convert eleven of fourteen third downs, that's going to work for you. Yeah, well, they they um, they packed the perk, as yep. they say uh, up there, and yeah, the, the, that's probably giving them a lot of opportunity to go. It's a Whitewater first down, or you know whatever they say. I, it's been a couple years since I've been up there, but uh, Keith, that I, place gets pretty rowdy on game day. Keith, I now have the Whitewater theme uh, theme song, the Whitewater fight song, running it through my head again. Well, and and you have like the the cannon blast ringing in your ears. <laughs> I watched the highlight reel. There was a cannon blast in it. Yes. See, yeah. For those of you not familiar, uh, that's one of Whitewater Water's <laughs> traditions: yeah. shoot off the cannon when they score. But not in playoff games because it's not allowed. And uh, to finish the lightning round, um, let's see. Saint Norbert uh, lives by the fourth quarter comeback, and then they die by the fourth quarter comeback this year week. Yeah, yeah. Last week, the big one against uh, Illinois College. This week, it was Cornell that got them in uh, in in uh, a couple of scores in the fourth quarter. So, uh, as we talked about with the Empire Eight leagues becoming topsy turvy, one week you think you you know who's the leader, and then next week turn around and uh, one bad quarter gets them uh, out of first place. All right, coming up next week, week six, Hump Week. 
if you prefer, uh, you know, the week or otherwise known as in the uh, as as the week in which Wesley stops playing Division three teams. They played uh, five to open the season. Those were the only five Division three teams who would schedule the Wolverines in the regular season this year. And they finish with uh, Concordia Selma and College of Faith and UNC Charlotte and uh, Menlo. And oh, I've forgotten the other one. I, I almost named the entire Wesley non-Division three schedule, which is more non-Division three teams than I need to know. But also, let's see, coming up next week, uh, Mount Union travels to Ohio Northern. Uh, it's a game that's uh, more interesting now than it was, uh, say, 12 to 24 hours ago. Uh, Hartwick's at St. John Fisher. Wartburg at Coe. Uh, Springfield, Hobart. Springfield's looked pretty good in the uh, early going, Keith. And, uh, and Hobart, you know, was just kind of, uh, seemed like just kind of a nonchalant win. I would say 28-14 over WPI, but of course, uh, WPI got those two touchdowns late, so that score was kind of misleading on Saturday. Yeah, and, and sometimes Springfield's numbers can be misleading when they run them up against uh, teams that aren't quite as good. So this will be one of those cases where you kind of withhold judgment on uh, on how good Springfield is until you see him do it against Hobart. The game's at Hobart next week, too, so... Uh, that sort of adds an extra challenge to it. But uh, but Springfield 4-1, four, four straight wins since opening with a loss to Western New England, who's also one of those surprise 4-0 teams. Buff State is at Ithaca. We've got uh, River Falls traveling to Platteville. Hey, again, another game that was slightly more interesting now than it used to be. The game I'm real excited about next week is uh, Lycoming and Delaware Valley. Oh, that, not, that. not that Friday Night Guru Bowl? Well, I mean, you know. That's always exciting. I mean, that kind of goes without saying. You don't even have to mention it, right? Both of them coming off uh, losses on Saturday, too. So uh, eager to uh, to uh, to get back in the win column. You know, I've been to that game on a Friday night uh, in D.C., and I've been to it at Macon as well. So it's uh, it's, it's at Macon this Friday, 6 p.m. I don't know. Maybe I'll scoop the kids up from school and battle I-95 South Traffic to try to get there by 6 o'clock kickoff. Sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> Keith, if this were a TV script, you would have said battle the I-95, and that's just not a battle the, or battle the 95, right? Is that, how, is that how the Hollywood people would write it? Right. It would be the, yeah, they're, they're on the 405. Yeah, battle the 95, because you know, nobody says that on the East Coast, that's for sure. You know the best note, the correction I got from kickoff, and it's from a longtime reader, uh, probably, I don't know if you listen to the podcast or not, Oxy Bob, though. He, uh, I wrote Southern Cali in the uh, oh. Beyond the Top 25, and he's like, nobody says that out here. It's called SoCal. So, you know, as much as we travel around the country and you and I are from different areas and we've lived in different areas, we, we're, we're hip to some of the, uh, the geographical lingo, but I guess I dropped the ball on the Cali lingo. That Wesley and Bates game on Saturday is a lot more interesting than I would have thought uh, at the beginning of the season, too. Yeah, well, the the the, the NESCAC is is kind of strange, and and I guess it is. It's always in, tough in to, what way, Keith? <laughs> well, be, the, no points are being scored is, is what I'm getting at. The on Saturday, Amherst beat Middlebury seven zero, and uh, you know there wasn't a big wasn't a big weather issue. Some some weeks, you know, you, the scores you can explain them away um, because all oh, the East Coast there was a hurricane in the East. We've had weeks like that over the years, but uh, what wasn't the case like that uh, this this past Saturday? So yeah, the NESCAC traditionally. It has a couple of really good defensive teams, but it uh, looks like I, I, I think in this case, it may be that some of the teams are struggling offensively. So, yeah, uh, the Bates coming off the uh, the win at at Williams. Yeah, I don't know if, if that's really a huge game or not. Wesleyan's uh, was pretty good, but I think everywhere else, I'm not quite sure uh, what to make of the NESCAC yet. Uh, St. Lawrence is at RPI on Saturday. Uh, Wash U hosts Hendricks, St. Norbert and Carroll, uh, Monmouth 
at Illinois College and uh, let's see, Wisconsin Oshkosh. Hey, they played a D3 team this week and they play one next week too. Uh, of course, conference games the rest of the season as they travel to Wisconsin lacrosse. East Texas Baptist at Texas Lutheran, also a, an interesting non-conference game too considering the way those teams have played this year. I think they're a combined 8-1 and one going into that game. Yeah, and that one was a, was that big non-division loss that East Texas Baptist had to open the season. Since then, uh, they, they've played pretty well. And, of course, Texas Lutheran, we mentioned 5-0. and oh. That's the Around the Nation podcast. Don't forget to stick around the rest of the week. We've got all sorts of great stuff. Of course, Snap Judgments you already see on the website. Uh, Play of the Week nominations due by 5 p.m. tonight. And Team of the Week for SIDs. That's our weekly honor roll. Top player at each position. Hey, Defensive linemen deserve to be nominated too, but you got to do it by 8 o'clock on Monday night. Of course, then we have around the region and around the nation columns the rest of the week. He's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman. Thanks for listening in, and we'll catch you again next week.